0: welcome to your path to real wealth where we explore how to cultivate real wealth which is so much more than money it's the sum quality of our values relationships health sense of purpose time charitable giving legacy and more your path to real wealth begins now
1: well welcome to the show I'm Benjamin Cummings from Blueborn Wealth, and I'm here with my co-host, Jeff Brimhall. We're excited for another great episode. Jeff, do you want to go ahead and introduce our guest?
2: Yeah, we are we have Jackson Bradley on the show with us today, and I'm going to give a brief introduction to him, and I'm going to let him also tell about some of his background. But Jackson played football at Villanova University. What position did you play, Jackson?
3: Played quarterback.
2: Oh, wow. Quarterback. Yeah. I played quarterback, too, at college, but only for one year, and I never got in a game. So you're probably better than me. Well,
3: I got in two, so I guess I got you beat there. (laughs) You got into
2: two games. Okay, you're way better than me. Jackson is, he works with advisors at DPL Financial, which is a group that we use to help with insurance products such as annuities and life insurance and disability insurance and so forth. And we're excited to have him on. He has a great background. He's worked at Lincoln Financial, has a degree in finance, and is a great resource for us in our firm. So with that, Jackson, maybe tell us briefly about DPL, how you started working there and what your role is. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, so, DPL kind of a weird path after college, but graduated from Villanova. Started out as an internal wholesaler at Lincoln on the commissionable side, selling annuities, specifically focused on buffered annuities, but variable as well. And then, while I was there, kind of got out of the finance world for a little bit into the CPG industry. Started a, did a little startup there in the uh, cookie space, interestingly enough. And then, after that, company kind of you know I, we got bought out basically and then once that was done i was looking for uh, my next step and dpl had reached out to me given my background with lincoln and kind of pitched me their vision on commission free annuities and how how fast the market is growing in the commission free space and the ri space in general so took a role there and now i'm an internal consultant at dpl so i work with advisors every day and helping them analyze existing existing annuities, help them out with potential new annuities, and work on those cases with them. Provide materials, you know, work with clients directly as well to help them understand the benefits. So uh, it's a little bit about me, and now I am uh, on the podcast with you guys after doing a few cases in the past month. So excited to be here!
2: Thank you, Jackson. We're excited to have you as well. And it sounds like you have a great background and a lot of experience in annuities, both on the commissionable side where advisors get paid a commission to sell them. And now with DPL on the commission free side, we'll talk a little bit more about how that affects the product in a minute and what the differences are. But let's first take a step back and just talk about annuities. Annuities for a lot of people have a bad reputation and I'd love for you to tell us why you think that is and what's given the annuities the bad reputation over time.
3: Yeah, sure. So I think to understand the reputation of annuities, you got to go back to the beginning when they were first round and the first annuities were SPIAs, right? Where you take a lump sum of money and put it into a SPIA, uh, annuity. And maybe for
2: our listeners, what does SPIA mean?
3: Yeah, of course. Uh, SPIA is a single premium immediate annuity.
2: Okay.
3: And what they did when they first rolled out SPIAs was you would put a lump sum of money into a contract- from then there would be no cash value of the contract you would just be guaranteed an income payment every year and so from spias came variable annuities uh, and when those first came out they had very high fees longer surrender schedules and you know over time we had the spias that I referenced the variable annuities then we started to dabble in fixed index annuities and you know even those had fees to start so Fees have always been very high. Surrender schedules have been very long, and as the annuity industry has evolved, we've moved more towards these lower cost, you know, high income rate and more efficient uh, income tax-wise in terms of exclusion ratio, where you may only have part principal, part gains coming out rather than gains first. So it's been an evolution of annuities you know, ever since they came out. And I think one of the big reasons is because these companies that have billions and billions of liabilities from the annuities that clients are purchasing, they've gotten more efficient at pricing them, which has allowed them to create these awesome products that we now are able to offer.
2: Great. So maybe in summary, the bad reputation is because over time they've been expensive, they've been inflexible, and they have evolved into better products uh, now, but people got the reputation or if they've bought one in the past, they may still think that they are the same as they've always been.
3: That's correct. And I would also say that I think when annuities first came out and honestly up until now, the com- on the commissionable side, advisors receive a very large fee or commission rather to sell these annuities. And I think that sometimes they are motivated For the wrong reason to incorporate them into a client's financial plan when maybe they're not a perfect fit for this annuity. So looking at the fee-based model, it allows advisors to be a little more agnostic in terms of what's actually the best solution for my client.
2: Yeah. So advisors who sold annuities and got commissions, maybe were incentivized for themselves to get paid and get that commission as opposed to doing what's best for the client. And that may have led to situations where clients had an annuity that wasn't necessarily a best fit for them. Correct. So how are the types of annuities that are offered through DPL and that we might provide to some of our clients different than these annuities we've just talked about that have the bad reputation?
3: Yeah. So the bad reputation ones that I mentioned, they're commissionable policies, which means the client puts in $100,000 into a product. Let's say the commission rate is 7%. The advisor receives receives a 7% payment off of that $100,000. In the commission-free space, also known as the advisory space, there's no commission paid out to the advisor. And so because of that, that allows the carrier internally to reinvest that commission back into the product. And so, because of that, they're able to lower fees and increase withdrawal rates, which has, you know, led to the evolution of these commission-free products that are, you know, about as low cost as you're going to find.
2: So instead of the advisor getting seven percent upfront from selling the product to the client, that's that seven percent gets put back into the product, and the end client gets to benefit from that amount of money by making the product uh, a better return. Better payouts over time, higher income, et cetera. Correct? That's exactly right. Okay. Great. So maybe even with these positive differences and lower cost and better returns and income as a result, every investment has some pros and cons. So maybe let's just talk here up front. What are some of the benefits and some of the drawbacks of annuities?
3: Yeah. So on the benefit side, I would say that, you know, one of the flagships of annuities is tax deferral. And so what I mean by tax deferral is that if you invest, let's say, into a low-cost variable annuity and you're 60 years old, you let the money sit in there for 10 years, you're not paying taxes on any growth in the account over those 10 years. It's going to be tax deferred and that's the cost that you're paying on the annuity, usually around maybe 30 to 40 bips on the contract and you're paying for that tax deferral. Uh, The other pro would be Guaranteed income. And you know, with guaranteed income, you're insuring yourself through the rest of your life. You have an income stream that you can't outlive. So no matter what, you know that you can rely on those funds coming in every single year, even if your account value goes to zero, which is a, a really strong story for a client. On the con side, you know, I would I would one go back to what I mentioned where. Sometimes clients will purchase annuities, maybe through an advisor, or maybe not through an advisor, where it's not the right fit. And maybe they don't dive deep enough into the contract specifics. Maybe they don't fully understand the tax implications of an annuity. And so I think the cons can be, you know, decrease liquidity. So some of these contracts do still have a surrender schedule, have to keep that in mind. Some are surrender free, so just have to be cautious of that. I would also say that for younger clients, you know, maybe a 45 year old purchasing annuity, you have to make sure that they are aware that that money, whether it's qualified or non qualified, cannot leave that annuity wrapper until they're 59 and a half. And sorry, rather, I should say non qualified money can't leave the annuity wrapper until 59 and a half. Qualified money, you can move it in and out, but non qualified money specifically, you do have a little less flexibility in terms of what you can actually do with the funds until you reach that age 59 and a half.
2: Great. So maybe in summary, you have some of the drawbacks. You have decreased liquidity. If you put it in with money that's not inside of a retirement account, uh, it becomes like a retirement account and you don't pull it out until you're 59 and a half. Uh, I think you, you maybe didn't mention this, but the income taxes, I believe are also taxed as once you do pull it out, the gains our tax taxes, ordinary gain, ordinary income instead of capital gains. Is that right?
3: Correct. Yep. It's gains first. We call it LIFO or last in first out. So as you take income payments, you'll take income payments of gains first and pay income taxes on all that. And then once you get into the original investment, which is called the cost basis, those would come out tax free. And this is for non-qualified money. For qualified yeah, funds, g- it would just be income tax.
2: Okay. And those gains are taxes, ordinary income tax rate instead of long-term capital gains rates, right? That's correct. And then the other thing is if when you die uh, in a taxable account, if you die, your heirs get a step up in basis where they don't pay ta- that capital gains tax on the gain on, on of the investment. But in an annuity, that doesn't happen, correct? You get no step up in basis upon someone's death?
3: Correct. So the beneficiary would inherit the cost basis and they would be forced to liquidate the contract over their life expectancy once inherited if they do keep it in the annuity wrapper. Otherwise, they would have to pay, if they took a lump sum distribution, they would have to pay taxes on all of the gains within the contract.
2: Okay, great. Yeah, I think those are just some important things for people to keep in mind. As you said, their annuities can be great when it's the right fit. And people just need to make sure they understand some of these nuances about them and how the laws work around the annuities. And if they do, and it's the right fit, I think they can be very powerful, especially to generate good long-term income.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: You know, Jackson, I I think
1: this has been really helpful to provide a a lay of the land of what this looks like for annuities. I think some might have the question of, why would I choose an annuity instead of just having a taxable brokerage account? Could you speak to that if they're trying to make the decision of why might I consider an annuity instead of just a taxable account?
3: Sure. So there's kind of two things that I would have to say around that conversation. So one, as I mentioned before, the tax deferral on say a variable annuity, the tax deferral is a very strong story. And you can trade within the annuity. And a lot of these annuities have a lot of different fun options institutionally priced as well. So you can trade within the account without paying taxes on gains. And then, two, I would say that you have flexibility within the annuity to eventually initiate income. And so, if you have a rider on there on a variable annuity, you give yourself the option down the line to eventually receive lifetime income if you wish. So, I think that's a strong story for clients that don't know 100% if they do want that guaranteed income aspect, but they can at least set themselves up to make that decision down the road. Got it. It gives them
1: some options. They got tax deferral on the accumulation with the potential for lifetime income, which are both great benefits. Maybe keying in a little bit on that that lifetime income, that seems like a really appealing feature of an annuity that with pensions being less common than they used to be, this is kind of in a way of purchasing your own private pension. Maybe could you speak to that? Is that that something that resonates with you or with others that you've spoken with?
3: Yeah, it's a very strong story right now. And specifically right now, because of how high these withdrawal rates are at the moment. So, for example, let's say that you're 65 years old and we can get you an 8% guaranteed lifetime income off of your premium payment. So, $100,000, you get 8% immediately. So, $8,000 annually for life. The withdrawal rates are so high that they're going to deplete the account value very, very fast. And the strength in that is that you're getting into the insurance carrier's pockets even quicker. The goal is to be receiving funds off of basically an asset that is depleted and you still have passive income coming in, which I think is a a really strong story because you're doing the most with that initial $100,000 premium that you could versus looking at $100,000 with a safe withdrawal rate. You don't know how long that's going to last you and there are no guarantees past that premium being depleted.
1: Got it. Whereas kind of kind of, what you're saying with the annuity, once you've depleted the account value, if you've got this lifetime income, you can continue pulling income until you pass away.
3: Yeah, it's exactly right. It's a, it's a really strong tool to budget with. And when you have those fixed expenses laid out in your retirement, it's an easy way, or we provide an easy way to understand what are those fixed expenses and what do we need to invest in an annuity to cover those fixed expenses for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah. Considering the other income sources that they may already have, like social security, how much additional do they have to cover those expenses?
3: Correct. Yes.
1: Love that. No, I love that. I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, some concerns that we hear from time to time is that if they, if somebody gets an annuity and they've got this lifetime income, but then they pass away at a young age or earlier than they might have been expecting they they might feel cheated like that they didn't get the full value out of this annuity um because the insurance company is the one that gets their money instead of them or their heirs you know could you speak to that or are there ways of avoiding that as a, if that is a concern for somebody to say hey I don't want to annuitize cuz what if I what if I die earlier than I expected how do you account for that or address that concern
3: yeah so i would say that um, annuitization is not nearly as common as it used to be. I know that the SPIAs that I mentioned earlier were kind of the first annuities, but these days, when you do take income, whether it be off of a variable or a fixed index product, something along those lines, you're not actually annuitizing the contract anymore. So you do retain that account value access. And if you do happen to pass away early, your heirs can still inherit the cash value of the annuity versus when SPIAs were the only option for income, you didn't have that option. And not not to go on too much of a tangent, but even SPIAs have developed these days to have different payout options versus just you know lifetime income. They also offer lifetime income with a cash refund, lifetime income with installment payments with the remaining funds. So there's a lot more flexibility these days. And I think that people kind of associate annuitization with taking lifetime income when they are not one and the same anymore.
1: I see, so because of the newer versions of annuities or variations of these annuities that are available now, there's a lot more flexibility that if that was a concern of saying, hey, if I annuitize, then I'm gonna lose all this money, that isn't necessarily the case anymore. That's exactly right. That's great, no, that's very good.
2: So you've mentioned a few different types of annuities, the single premium immediate annuity, you mentioned the variable annuities, you mentioned fixed index annuities of all these different types of annuities, which ones do you, I mean, it depends on the client situation, but which ones do you think provide the best value?
3: Yeah. So value-wise, I would probably talk about a couple of different products that I work with every day right now. The first would be the income products that we've kind of been going over to allow clients to have security in their mind that they're not going to outlive the income that they invest in the annuity for. The other that I've seen a lot of advisors find value in these days, and clients have been very happy with the returns, is what we call a MIGA. It's a multi-year guaranteed annuity, also known as a fixed annuity. And these have stated interest rate for a guaranteed period. For example, right now, um, well, I won't talk about a specific product, but Let's say that you can get 5% on your money annually for a five year duration guaranteed. This is looked at as a fixed income alternative or a bond alternative. And it allows the client to grow their money inside of a tax deferred wrapper, um, you know, versus a CD where you have to pay, you have to take a tax hit at the end of a year. So I think that one income and two fixed annuities for guaranteed growth and also mitigates risk in the bond environment that we're seeing right now, where I think bonds are a little more correlated with equities than we'd like. So,
2: Yeah, that's helpful. So a guaranteed interest rate, so a guaranteed return through this MIGA annuity you mentioned, or the lifetime income strategies that you mentioned. So on those lifetime incomes, you gave an example earlier of a payout rate of about 8%, a withdrawal rate that they'll pay you 8% of the premium you put in. Um, could you give us a couple of other examples about some of these lifetime income products and what those safe withdrawal or not safe withdrawal rates, but what the what lifetime income withdrawal rates are currently And maybe talk a little bit about deferral credits and how those work?
3: Yeah, absolutely. that was where I was going to go next. I know that that that's a very another very strong point right now. And you know going back to pensions, um, when you invest in one of these deferred annuities that Jeff mentioned, let's say that the client is 50 and they want to take retirement income down the road at 65 if they invest their money at 50 the carrier is going to promise them deferral credits each year on their money so that means that regardless of what the market does we're going to give you an increase on your future income value every single year until you initiate that income so It really is like building a pension for yourself and these values are guaranteed as well. So you know exactly the least amount of money that you could receive at 65 with upside potential as well.
2: Yeah, no, that's, we've been looking at some of those for clients uh, where they might start at age 50, as you said, and they might have a withdrawal rate of 6% or so. And then if they defer until 60 or 65, the withdrawal rate may grow to you know, 9%, 10 11% or even more, right? And so then they can know that they can get 10% guaranteed for the rest of their life on the amount they put in and any growth on top of that it may have had over that time period. Correct, yep. Yeah, it's pretty attractive. So you talked earlier about qualified, non-qualified, but can I own annuities inside of an IRA or Roth IRA? And do you recommend it?
3: So you, you can own an annuity within an IRA or a Roth IRA. And I don't recommend it or not recommend it. It's entirely dependent on client situation. I will say that there are some benefits to being an annuity within an IRA because you can move the money in and out of the annuity without taking a tax hit. It still stays inside that qualified wrapper. So it gives you a little more flexibility in terms of getting in and out of strategies. But at the end of the day, it's just another option in your investment portfolio if clients are looking for extra downside protection or a little more creative strategies with uh, you know, buffers and cap rates on the upside. So it's entirely dependent on the client's financial situation, but I wouldn't not recommend it. I think that you should look at all of the options available.
2: Are there any limitations to the types of annuities that can be bought inside of an IRA or a qualified account versus ones that can't?
3: No, I haven't come across any limitations, qualified versus non-qualified in terms of what you can purchase. There are a little bit different rules that are carrier specific in terms of premiums that are allowed within a product. Obviously, tax treatment is different as well from qualified to non-qualified in the distribution phase. But- Hey, Jackson, I want to ask
1: a question. You mentioned the idea of when an annuity is in an IRA or a Roth IRA, it gives you a little bit more flexibility moving in and out of the strategy. Could you elaborate for somebody that may be unfamiliar with what that looks like? Kind of maybe an example of what that what you mean by that?
3: Sure. So I'll just pose it as a, a scenario with non-qualified money and then with qualified money. So let's say that a client is 50 years old and They want to purchase the MIGA that I mentioned earlier with the guaranteed fixed rate. They say, hey, I want to have this 5% for five years. I don't know what the bond market's going to do. I don't know what the equity market is going to do. I want to allocate a portion of my funds to this 5% rate. If we do it with qualified money, you can purchase the annuity with qualified money and hold the annuity within your IRA. Once the five years is up, then you can move it back into your brokerage account. You can move it into a different annuity it's still within that qualified IRA wrapper. Whereas if you purchase an annuity at 50 with non-qualified money, you start it inside of that non-qualified annuity wrapper. And from there, you would have to move it to another annuity to avoid paying taxes on the gains inside of the contract. And so the non-qualified annuity moving to another non-qualified annuity is what we call a 1035 exchange. And so you have to keep it within that annuity wrapper until you're 59 and a half, which is just something to keep in mind as you uh, look at potential options to invest in.
2: Okay. So even on the Migas, you have to keep it there until you're 59 and a half.
3: Yes, you would have to keep it, um, you would have to keep it within that wrapper. otherwise there's a 10% penalty on all gains inside the contract. So on not top only would you of pay, the taxes,
2: yeah. Income taxes plus a 10% gain, just like taking an early withdrawal from a, from an IRA account. Exactly right. Uh, you mentioned 1035 exchange just a second ago, uh, maybe explain that a little more and when somebody might use one.
3: Yeah. So a 1035 exchange is for non-qualified money. So back to the example that I had 50 year old buys that Myga have it for five years. And after the five years is up, they want to move the money, but they don't want to take the 10% tax hit plus taxes on gains. So they would 1035 exchange it, which means moving from one non-qualified annuity to a different non-qualified annuity to keep it within that tax deferred status. And you know that's especially a strong story for a client who is worried about a tax hit. And even for older clients, not just to avoid the 10% penalty, but What if you're 65 years old, you're past that 59 and a half age, but you owned this variable annuity for the past 10 years. And over those 10 years, products have gotten a lot stronger. And with that, you want to look at your options to move out of that contract into a new one that better matches your financial needs in that moment. So if you purchase that annuity at 55, hold it till 65, let's say there's a 3% fees all in on the contract. If you move it into a commission-free annuity, you're going to continue to let those assets grow in the tax-deferred wrapper, but we can offer you a reduction in fees of upwards of like 80%. So it's a really strong story to 1035 Exchange and to just understand your options and also to avoid an eventual tax hit on capital gains.
2: So if you have an annuity, you're not stuck in that annuity, you can switch from one annuity to another without any kind of tax consequence by doing this 1035 exchange.
3: Exactly right.
2: And if you're in an annuity that's built for growth and you wanna turn on income, then maybe you should consider everything else that's out there and pick the right one that would generate the best income for you going forward before you start that income. Yeah, I agree. Okay, thank you.
3: Jackson,
1: this has been great. I've loved this conversation. I think it's been very helpful. I know that annuities can feel overwhelming to a lot of people. They hear a lot about them. As we mentioned in the beginning, sometimes it has a bad reputation, probably in part because of some things that they hear. I'm just wondering, as we start to wrap up, are there any recommendations or thoughts that you'd share with our listeners as they come across the annuities in the marketplace, things that they should be aware of or, or you know, that we haven't touched on yet?
3: Yeah, I would say that just, it's a good question because there's a lot of ways to purchase an annuity out there. I think one, make sure you're going with a trusted contact that has your best financial interests in mind. And two, just understand your financial needs and make sure that you have a really solid understanding of where you're at as far as your financial situation and where you want to be. And once you understand those goals, then you can better craft a strategy potentially with annuities to help you reach that status that you're looking to reach in retirement.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Jackson, thank you. This has been such a great conversation. One thing, or one question that we like to ask our guests that come on, since we are, our focus is on, on our path to real wealth, we'd love to ask you, what is real wealth to you?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I would say to me, real wealth is being well off enough to not have to stress about you know, monthly budget and being able to use the money that I have to spend more time with my loved ones and just do things that I love. So
1: I love that. I love that. Jackson, thanks again for being on our show today. We certainly appreciate it. Appreciate your time and, and the expertise that you've been willing to share with us today. Thank you.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate
1: the time guys. Well, thank you for joining us again, Jackson, and thank you to our listeners for listening in today. If you've got questions or if we can be of any help as you're navigating this world of annuities or your investments and wondering if we can offer help or assistance, please look us up, bluebarnwealth.com. We'd love to help however we can. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you for listening to Your Path to Real Wealth from Blue Barn Wealth. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends and click the subscribe button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and any guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Blue Barn Wealth. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for personalized investment advice. Because everyone's situation is unique, always seek the advice of a qualified financial professional with any questions you may have.